from the EPR Creation Studio. This is the Unconquered Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jason Staples. And as always, this show brought to you by EPR Creations. EPR Creations partners with small businesses for website development and online strategy planning. If you have any need for an improved internet presence or want to improve your marketing, call EPR Creations. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered Podcast. And while you're at it, go over and sign the petition at showthesafeties.com, which they helped me uh, very briefly put together to uh, try to petition for better camera angles in college football. All right, today's episode is just going to be straightforward. It's a question and answer podcast. I've gotten a ton of questions over the last few weeks, and I just haven't had the time to uh, to answer them. And so now I'm gonna I'm gonna just give my opinion on some of the questions that you and the audience have uh, have wanted to pass my way. So, like I said, without a whole lot more ado, let's go ahead and get to it and get to the first stuff. So the first one goes back to the release of the schedule was asked thoughts about the schedule. What do you think about, uh, about how this shakes up for Florida state and in my view on the schedule, and we'll, we'll cover this a little bit more as we get closer to the season. My preliminary view is that I, I think the schedule sets up fairly well. I mean, I think it's a fair schedule. I don't think it's especially advantageous for Florida state, especially in the first year under a new coach, and coming off of a couple of transition classes and all of that, it's not exactly what you'd want. I mean, you wouldn't want to go to Boise or open with West Virginia and Atlanta. You'd want a couple patsies that would guarantee wins there. But all things being equal, where the bye sits right before the NCSU road trip, which at NCSU has always been a problem. Traditionally, Florida State has played North Carolina State after the Clemson game, and that's been a problem as well. That you know, you come in banged up after a rivalry game, and then you go on the road to NC State, where where it can be tough to play in that stadium, and all of a sudden you you get upset. I I like where the bias is situated. I think overall, uh, it's one of those things where if they can get a few things right in the off season, it's entirely possible that they start four and zero before going before they go to Clemson. Now they could also lose any of the three FBS games that they have on the front half of the schedule as well. They could lose to. West Virginia, for sure. They could lose at Boise. They could lose at NC State. So any of those are losable games. But at the same point, you look at how they how they open, and you go, well, you know, get just a little bit better from last year. And, you know, you had Boise on the ropes. Just close that game out. It's going to be harder on the road. It's going to be harder with the their quarterback having a, a year under his belt. But at the same point, you go, you know, should be able to win those games. And if you can start 4-0, if you can start at that point, then you you know try to hang on and not lose all momentum against Clemson. You got a chance to actually feel pretty good about yourself, you know, coming into the second half of the slate. And you know you've got several several teams in the on the back half. At Louisville is going to be a tough game. Pitt is going to be a tough game. Miami at Miami is going to be a tough game. Florida obviously is going to be a problem. So a lot of games that are very losable on the schedule. I mean, there's probably what eight or nine games that are losable on the schedule that you look at and you go, well, you know, that can't really, can't really put that one in pen. You're going to have to write in pencil. So not ideal, but at the same point, Florida state's going to be more talented than let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I would say out of their schedule, they're going to be more talented the nine of the 12 games on their schedule, at least. Now, obviously, how whether they're able to get 
better at the at the offensive tackle position is going to be a, a major factor on whether or not they're able to cash in on that overall talent edge. But it does matter. It does it it does remind you that that that's how bad things were the last couple of years under Willie Taggart. I mean, I you got to remember when they when they only won uh what seven games in 2017. That team was still ranked ninth in the country in S&P plus that team was just really unlucky. And also, you know, they had their problems. They had some buy-in problems. There were cultural problems, but they were also really unlucky. And then they were like 72nd, if I remember right in S&P plus in 2018, that's how big of a fall there was. And then it didn't improve a whole lot this last year. So you're looking at the the team the team this the, these last couple of years they were more talented than all all but two or three teams on their schedule in 2018 they had plenty of talent on that roster but well if you're really poorly coached really poorly organized you're gonna you're gonna see those results so the question is how much better can they be with competent organization with unified vision and leadership and schemes that go together that make sense and that are well taught in practice and players getting enough reps in practice to actually get better. And you got to think that's going to be, that's going to be enough to be, you know, is that going to be enough to be 10 or 15% better just, just on that? And if that is, if Florida state's 10% better than they were last year, how many, how many wins did they have on last year's schedule? Looking at how close some of those games were that you lose on the margin Instead of being a six-win team, are you a nine-win team, maybe? Just with a 10% improvement by competent organization and coaching? And if that's the case, then I think you're looking at maybe, you know, realistically, seven or eight wins, nine wins on this schedule. It's totally plausible. Now, again, you're going to have to fix some things on the roster. They're, they're, they're in a worse shape roster-wise than they've been. They're in worse shape than they were in 2018, and in many respects, they're going to be in worse shape in 2019 than they were in 20 or 2020 than they were in 2019. A few places they should be better, but overall, you know, I think this schedule sets up reasonably well. I mean, West Virginia, you'd prefer not to open with West Virginia. I think you'd prefer to open with Sanford and then West Virginia, but West Virginia is a beatable team in Atlanta. I mean, you got to remember West Virginia and NC state were around the same level level of team last year. And NC state was really bad. So West Virginia is going to be better than they were last year, but they're not a team that they're going to stick out a bunch of, you know, four and five star players that, that can match up with Florida state athletically. And you look at Florida state defensively and you say, you know, they should be able to do what they need to do against West Virginia, at least on the defensive side. And then hopefully you can hang on and do some things offensively in game one under new staff to cause problems. And you come away with a win there. You beat Samford. And then you go to Boise, and that's a losable game. But that's a Boise team that you were very clearly, very obviously more talented than last year and had no excuse losing to. And, you know, maybe you, you're 10% better and you close that game out. We'll see, though. Like I said, the, the schedule sets up, I think, relatively fairly. And if I'm Mike Norvell, I'm, I'm definitely wanting to come out of those gates uh, as strongly as possible. I feel like if I can come out and, and win the first half, even against West Virginia, if I win the first half against West Virginia, I probably win that game. But if I can win that West Virginia game, I feel like I can, I, I've put myself in position for, you know, maybe eight or more wins 
in that in that season. So based on just how the schedule shakes, that doesn't mean that I expect eight wins, but it does mean that it, that given how the schedule shaking out, that's at least plausible with the level of talent that Florida State has on the roster. All right, next question. Do you think Florida State has a better chance of beating Boise State than West Virginia? I would say no. A couple reasons. One is West Virginia is in Atlanta, which, which should be more of a partisan Florida State atmosphere. It's not in, you know, it's not where you're going eastern to west, eastern to a mountain time either. And Boise is, Boise is a legit road game. It's going to be a completely different environment. It's going to be, you know, different elevation, all sorts of things. And they've got a really, really good NFL prospect of a quarterback who's now going to be a sophomore and a guy who beat you last year. So Boise, I think, is one of the more losable games on the schedule. I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think, I mean, I think West Virginia is going to be a pretty decent team next year, but I think Boise is going to be probably a little better team than West Virginia. And that's a road game, a true road game against a really good quarterback. And if you're going to, if you're going to talk about a team that you don't want to face, find the quarterbacks. Locate the quarterbacks on your schedule. Identify which ones are the guys, that, which ones are dudes. And I, when I look at this schedule right away, I go, okay, where, where are the guys that, at quarterback that are legit, like really, really good quarterbacks? And I go to Boise. I go to Clemson. You could argue for Miami with that, but I, I think that's, that's debatable. And then probably Florida. That, that right there, there's your list. Those are the guys, those are the quarterbacks that are really going to cause you the most problem, the most problems on, on this schedule. So those are the games where defensively you're going to have to really be primed. There's some other good ones. Pitt's going to be pretty decent there. Louisville and Wake are probably going to be pretty decent there. West Virginia is going to have a, a, a decent player there. But the other ones are all guys where the quarterback position is probably going to have an advantage over the guy that you have under center or at least be no worse than even than the guy you have under center. And anytime you're playing against a quarterback disadvantage where or their, their guy has an advantage over yours, then that, that that's a pretty big deal, especially in college football. All right. Next question. what did you think of Brady Scott at right tackle in the bowl game? Huh? <laughs> um, well, not real, not real thrilled with that. Um, not real thrilled with what I saw. Um, I don't want to pile on here, but, Florida State needs to find another tackle. I'm still not convinced that uh, Don, uh, that Devontae Taylor is really well suited to be a right tackle at Florida State. And I'm not convinced that Brady Scott is, is an answer there either. I, I think both of them have, have some issues there on the edge, and you either one would be, would be better at guard. Now, Florida State's got other guards that might be better options there, so they might end up having to play a guy like Taylor or even Scott at tackle, but that's not good. That's not what you want to wind up with given where things are. So, you know, I, I, I would like to say that he, he, you know, he at least held his own, but I, I, I didn't think really that was even the case in the running game. I think he did in the passing game. I think he continues to have some trouble anchoring against the bull rush. And then also if you've got, Real speed rushers, you're going to give him problems as well. Not as not as long as you'd like him to be, and uh, just the physicality is 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 harder there. So, yeah, not not ideal. Not what you want at the right tackle position moving forward. And and like I said, and this was actually one of the other questions here. 
A lot of it, it, the person asked. A lot of people think Devontae Taylor is going to be a big upgrade at offensive tackle because he did well against Miami and had a good PFF grade last year at FIU. Why don't I think he could be an average? So why don't you think he could be an average offensive tackle at, at, at FSU? Do you think Brady Scott could be a better offensive tackle than Taylor? I'm not sure about the latter. I'm not sure whether Brady Scott would be a better would be a better option. But all, all you need to do is go back, go and watch like the Tulane game from last year, the the FIU Tulane game, and you'll see what some of the problems are. That Taylor he, he struggled in that game. Now, was he better against Miami? Yeah. But I do wonder to what degree he he uh, he got the same level of play against Miami that, say, Florida State's tackles faced. I mean, I, I think most people who've played played football understand how that works. And, uh, you know, I just think in terms of traits, you look at height and length and some of those other things, he, he really fits more at the guard position. Now, might he end up being the best right tackle option on the team? Absolutely possible. But that won't be because you're looking at, you know, being a big upgraded offensive tackle. I think he would be someone that would be better than it would be the best option, the next best option, but not really, not really what you want there. I think, again, what you want and really what Taylor would prefer would be able to get some tape at the guard position in tier, on the inside and hopefully, you know, convince some NFL scouts that he's worth uh, he's worth something on the interior because that really would be where his future is, and that's, I think, what, he, what he's hoping for. But, and that's what Florida State would prefer, I think. But again, you've got to find somebody who can be better at that, at that tackle spot. Otherwise, you're going to have to play him out there. So I just think when you look at the feet, when you look at the length, you look at some of the other traits and then some of the, difficulty of, the difficulties that he had with some pass rushers when you, when you actually put in the tape, I, I'm just not sold that he's you know, a, a significant upgrade at that spot. And yeah, the pro football focus grade is higher, but you got to remember what that means. Those grades mean that a guy basically was doing his job first and foremost. And if you're playing against lesser talent, well, that oftentimes means that you're doing your job against guys that are not as good. So you might ha- you might grade out at 85, but grading out at 85 against Clemson is different from grading out at 85 against FAU. It just is. And so and and they do try to adjust for that somewhat in their in their formula, but I'm I'm not persuaded that that their formula completely that it does a great job of accounting for difference in quality of of uh of competition. And that's one of the things that you you got to be cautious of because again, a guy who's at FIU who grades out in the 60s might not be better than a guy at Florida State who grades out in the 40s. Now, some of it may, he may be better just in that he's more assignment sound. Maybe, maybe you just know that that guy's not going to blow as many assignments. Maybe he's going to get run over slowly or whatever. But that, that's kind of what you have to think when you're, when you're looking at those pro football focus grades. So you have to take that into account when you're, when you're moving up a level of, of play, basically. All right. So next question. Which ACC teams on the FSU schedule will be better this year? That's a tough question. Um, looking at the looking at the schedule, I would say North Carolina State is going to be better. Be hard for them to be worse, considering all the injuries that they had last year. I mean, they were a mash unit, especially by the time Florida State played them, and were really a mess in terms of 
what they what they were able to put on the field. So they weren't they were not a good football team last year. I think as they get some of those players back healthy, as they uh, work some other players, some of the young younger guys that were on the roster uh, who got some some experience last year, as those guys have a, a year of experience under their belt, they're going to be better. I don't think they're. I still don't think they're going to be all that good, but I, I do think they're going to be significantly better from last year. Louisville is almost certainly going to be better on, in second year under Satterfield, and and they made a they made huge strides last year, and they got better over the over the course of the year, and I think they're going to be better. And that game's on the road, so that's going to be significantly harder game for Florida State. Syracuse is probably going to be better. They they reverted past the mean last year. They you know a lot of people had them even in the top ten or top fifteen preseason last year, which I thought was nuts because I figured a reversion to the mean uh, was gonna was gonna come after their ten win season two years ago. And then they pendulum swung even further than I thought last year. They were a bad football team last year. I think they're going to be better this year. I think Miami's going to be better this year than they were last year. The, the quarterback that they got from Houston is going to help them. If, not, if for nothing else, he's going to help them as, in, in terms of leadership. King is going to bring stability and maturity to that position, and they had none of that at quarterback the last couple of years. And Florida State fans can, you know, you all know, Listeners of this podcast, you know how big a deal it is to have, or when you have a uh, basically a turd at quarterback who isn't leading. When you when you don't have leadership in the quarterback room, that's a problem. And Clemson or Miami's been there for the last couple of years. Clemson is also going to be a lot better this year than they were last year. When I was down at Clemson last spring, uh, they told me they said, "Well, you know." This year we're we're not going to be as good as we were last year. We got a lot of we 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 lost so much, and you know our best players are all freshmen and sophomores. So you know this year it's just about a matter of hanging on and trying to make sure that we get better every week, and hopefully we can find a way to make it and ride Trevor for a while to to ultimately get back. But you know it's going to be a hard year. But in 2020, we're going to be we're going to be for real. That 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 team might be the best we've had. Well, welcome to 2020. <laughs> Clemson's going to be really good. They're bringing in one of the best recruiting classes in the country, if not the best. I know it finished second, but still might be better than the than the Georgia class. And then you've got third year Elf. They're they're going to be a really really good football team. Uh, and it doesn't help that that uh, or doesn't hurt them. Or doesn't help from Florida State's perspective that uh, ETN decided to return, which was kind of inexplicable given the mileage that you take at that, at that position, he really should have gone pro, but he decided he wanted to come back. So there you go. And th- they're going to be a lot better next year. Uh, that Clemson team next year is going to be probably close to as good as the 2018 team was, which I think is one of the best of all time. I think that 2018 Clemson team is better than this year's uh, 2019 LSU team. And, uh, and, and so I, I think this year's Clemson is going to be close to that. So Good luck, at, good luck, everybody, and I, I think everybody's basically playing for second in the ACC for sure, and maybe in the country, given what Clemson's bringing back next year. As far as which ACC schools will take a step back this year, I'd say out of, out of the teams on Florida State's schedule, the only one that I feel is probably likely to take a step back is Pitt. That's a team that was in the, uh, in the ACC champ- in the, uh, they were in the running for the ACC championship game last year. And, uh, and, and competitive there. I think they're probably going to be just a little worse than they were last year, but Florida State didn't play them last year. So as far as the rest, I mean, Boston College could be better or worse. I think, they're, I think you just kind of put them, slot them in as sort of where the, the, as the same. Uh, I think Wake Forest, 
probably about the same as they were when Florida State played them. They'll be worse overall because the quarterback transferred to uh, to Georgia. But in terms of when Florida State played them, Florida State played them with their backup, and they beat Florida State with their backup. They'll be they'll be about the same as what Florida State played them as. So so that's 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 my view in terms of of what they're de- what what Florida State's dealing with there. All right, before I move into the into the rest of the, the questions here, I'm going to go ahead and thank my second sponsor, and that is Lewis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. If you have any real estate needs in Jacksonville, you need to give Lewis a call. If you're trying to buy a home in the greater Jacksonville area, if you know someone who's buying a home in the greater Jacksonville area, let them know about Lewis. Tell them to, to let him know that you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast. And if you're listing a home in the greater Jacksonville area and you don't list with Lewis, you're an idiot. Because you you're gonna you're gonna get the most money and sell it the fastest beca- with Lewis because of his skills as a photographer and videographer. Nobody's gonna make your house look better. He knows how to stage it. He knows how to make it make it uh, make it shine. Make sure that that uh, you you get the best possible price at the fastest rate. Give him a holler. Let him know you heard about him from this podcast. All right, we're gonna go ahead and move into the next question, which is what do you think about would be playing defensive back or being listed at defensive back now instead of linebacker? Ooh. So I think that uh I think that it's ultimately unlikely that would be remains at defensive back, at true defensive back. I think what you're gonna find out, or I think I think he's he's best suited to play the stud position in this defense which is basically the star position in the old uh, old Florida State lingo. Uh, it's what Fuller calls the stud position. It's that safety linebacker, outside linebacker hybrid. And that really is where Woodby, I think, is best suited. I mean, if he's, if he's still playing at 225, 230 pounds, I just don't see him being a safety in a defense that bases out of quarters. And they're going to play, I mean, they're going to play some middle of the field Close. They're going to play some single safety defenses as well with the safety in the box. They're going to play some open stuff as well. But the base defense, I mean, this is a Elko-style defense, Mike Elko-style defense that Fuller's running. And they're going to run, they're going to base out of what's called, co- what, what in Elko's terminology is cover seven, which is a version of cover four, which is a, it's a, it's a match quarters, basically, although it's matched, generally matched to one side and read to the other side. So it has to do, and this is something I'm working on some stuff uh, on, on being able to explain this on the Patreon stuff. And again, that stuff is still under, it's still working on it, still working on best ways to put this forward. But basically, it's just a, uh, it's a difference on whether or not you're essentially playing man to man on all verticals or whether you're reading through number one, reading to number two to basically see, you know, maybe one guy drops off and maybe you drop off the the outside guy and you play almost like a two, or if both guys go vertical, then you play true, then, then you match, match up with that. So that's basically what you're doing. That's the, that's the base defense. And when you're running that base defense, you better have safeties who can cover those verticals. You better have safeties who can, who can play man to man type coverage and it's really hard to do that at 235, 230 pounds. I mean, Hamsa is about as big as you're gonna as you're gonna be playing that position. And you know, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be if you're gonna put Hamsa at safety, and you're gonna put another really big safety out there. I, I just don't see how they're gonna play that. I, I see Hamsa as probably the boundary safety as the buck in, in their defense. And then I think they're gonna have one of those 
one of the other guys, I think somebody like Travis J projects as the other safety as the field safety. And then basically from there, I think you, you figure out where would be best fits. And I think he best fits as that star position where he's not really playing in the box a bunch. He's sort of an edge player out there playing in space a lot. And it's the traditional Rover or strong safety position that, that teams used to play. It's just, it's just sort of a hybrid position. If you're a single safety team, it's 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 basically the strong safety position. But they're not a single safety team as their default, so that's I think where he best fits. But the question is then, okay, if he fits best there, then where does somebody like Amari Gaynor best fit? Because Gaynor also probably best fits right now at his current weight. If you're looking at a 220 pound Gaynor, then he probably also best fits at that star at that stud position. And you got to have both of those guys on the on, on, on the field as much as possible. So you got to figure out, this is one of the issues that they're going to have in terms of figuring out their personnel is how best to fit the best 11 on the field. And in what, what situations are they going to rotate for this or that? And that, that's, that's going to be hard because I think defensively, there are three or four positions where they're over deep, where it's, it's deciding between two guys who really should be on the field especially in the secondary and at, uh, and, at, and at that stud position. And then there are spots where they, they're, they're not deep enough. So, you know, in those linebacker positions, I think are still a question, but do you move Gaynor to one of the, one of the inside backers to the will or the, or the mic? And I don't think he fits as well there. You know, I think ideally uh, Gaynor winds up at the Fox position, but you, you know, then he's probably still playing as a backup, as a, as a, uh, more of a third down rusher, but and that Fox position is the uh, is the rush end, but and he's also going to have to be you know 240 pounds or so to play that position. You you really want him even higher than that if possible. So he's going to have to gain a lot of weight to play that spot. So there's a lot of questions in terms of who's going to play where in this defense. But like I said, I think Woodby really does fit best at the stud. I don't, especially coming off injury I, and and as heavy as he is. It's just hard to see him at the safety spot. If he's able to do it, then you get extra run run support from that spot, and and that's good. But you know that's that's gonna that's going to be the, the test in the in the spring is to see whether or not he's able. And I'm not sure even whether he's going to be cleared. I doubt he's going to be cleared really in the spring to to go full. But you got to see whether or not he's able to actually play at that spot, or whether he does need to be more at that star position, which I think is really where you know, he's, he's probably best suited to, for the next level as well. So a lot going on there, but, uh, but those are, those are my thoughts on, on would be being, uh, being listed there. I think you list him at, at DB and then kind of play him down as the, uh, as, as it becomes clear where he best fits. Next question is James Blackman salvageable to at least be an average quarterback or better this year? <sighs> That's a good question. Um, here's the thing. So we, we've talked on this, on this podcast before about how Blackman in his freshman year got better and better as the year went on. And as he was getting attention from Fisher and, and really working on becoming a college college quarterback. And then he's kind of regressed each season since then, as he's gone through now three offensive coordinators. This is his fourth offense. It's really hard to do. And he's, he's never, the last couple 
situations, he wasn't really getting the, the fundamentals work at the quarterback position that I think he ultimately needed, especially as raw as he was coming out of coming out of uh, coming out of high school. So I do think that there's room for him to get better and room for him to potentially be even average at the or or better at the quarterback spot. And this is a very quarterback friendly offense. I mean, more quarterback friendly, I think, for for someone of his uh, skill set, certainly than what we saw the last two years. Much closer to the quarterback friendly nature of, of Jimbo's offense. Much more able, much better able to uh, flex and bend with personnel. I mean, that was the thing. That's what made Jimbo's offense one of one of the things that made Jimbo's offense so good is he could completely change his offense for the skill set of his quarterback and did every year. Every year, his offense was different based on what the quarterback skill set was. And he found ways to protect and to help out Blackman during Blackman's first year. I mean, that was the thing is you got, they could have been really awful had they been running Taggart's system with Blackman as a true freshman. That would have been unwatchable. But, Norvell does the same kind of stuff that Jimbo does in terms of making it easy for the quarterback. Norvell also, as we've talked about, does does feature some more more vertical, a more more of a vertical component as a default for his offense. So you know, basing out of four verts, running post climb or post cross country, whatever you want to call it, as uh, core concepts, and then. A lot of RPO stuff, similar again to what Jimbo did, but with more downfield RPOs so that basically the quarterback is coming to the line of scrimmage and he's either going to hand it off or he's going to throw quick game type stuff based on a conflict player. And it may, you, you won't think, you won't realize that that was a run play, but it was a run play. You'll, you'll think it was kind of a quasi play action where the quarterback just kind of shows the ball or doesn't even show the ball. He just grabs it and throws it, but it will actually be a run play. It'll actually be uh, something that's based on where the, where the defender is. And that's a way to make sure that you're getting free stuff. And so, you know, one of the things that is really big about, about Norvell's offense is he's going to take the free stuff and then he's going to try to try to find ways to get big place. That's, that's really, that's really his offense. Take the freebies and get big place. And so I think if Blackman is able to buy into that, and is able to understand the basic concepts of how Norvell wants to do this, then yeah, he could be salvageable. But he's going to have to really do some work, and there's going to have to be some uh, confidence building, some some building up of a, a guy that he's had a rough go the last couple of years. You got to build that confidence back up. Now, next question was, if you were a betting man, do you think Blackman will start the first game of the season against West Virginia? Oof. I don't know. I really don't know what I would ex- what I expect there at the quarterback position. I I would favor Blackman to start over the other quarterbacks that are on the roster in the spring. So I think he would start over Rotomaker, who has a, has some growth uh, to, to do. I think he, he would start over Travis. Uh, I, I don't expect to see any of the others on the roster uh, contend for that job. 
So I, I think if it came down to that, then yeah. Then you've got the the question of Chubba Purdy. And then, you know, that that boils down to the question of whether Purdy is is really good enough to come in as a non-early enrollee and start game one. And I I think the kid's a really good talent. I think he's he's uh he's got a chance to be a really good player. He's the best quarterback prospect Florida State signed in years. But I'm not sure. I mean, Norvell's system, there, there's some complexity to it. I'm not sure that it, that I think it's possible. I don't think he's good enough. And I might be wrong. I'm, I'm not sure he's good enough to be able to to start game one as a, as a non-early enrollee. So I think all that said, I'd probably, I wouldn't bet much, but I'd probably guess that Blackman would be the starter come fall. Just not 100% there, though, and not even close. I mean, it's it's like a coin flip. And the thing is, even if he is the starter, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody like Purdy had some packages built in and that they were ready to kind of try to integrate one of the young guys, and I, I think it would be Purdy, to see if ultimately he's able to win the job later in the year. So So we'll see. Sticking with the quarterback theme, I also got a, got uh, questions about whether or not it, uh, I was surprised Florida State didn't go after a grad transfer quarterback. Well, that's actually presuming that there was no evaluation or discussion of, of a grad transfer quarterback to begin with. And I, I think there's pretty good evidence that there was some discussion of that. But the, the question is whether or not any of the grad transfer quarterbacks that, that are really available are are guys that you think are, are actually upgrades in your system. And there weren't a whole lot of those. That said, I still wouldn't be surprised if maybe in the summer we didn't see a, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we saw a, uh, a grad transfer maybe in the summer. We'll see. Wouldn't be shocked. But I think they're going to play it by ear in the spring, see what they have. And then if, they're, if they feel like they need to upgrade that spot, then they'll upgrade it in the summer with somebody who could potentially come in and, and play early, you know, play that, that, that one year we'll see, but I'm not surprised that they didn't land anybody in the first cycle, but I, I, I do think that they're, they're going to play a lot of things by ear in the, in, in the, in the spring and determine what they, how, how much they need to go after, you know, one year stop gaps come summer. Okay. Final question. Do you like Akeem Dent better at cornerback than safety? Yes. A lot. Dent was much better at cornerback than safety as a prospect, and he's also he also looked very good against Arizona State at that boundary cornerback position. And you know that that's where I think he's the favorite to be the starter at the boundary corner position in this defense in the fall, even with the broken ankle that will keep him out of spring. So I, I think he's he's probably your your starter at the boundary boundary spot, and I think he's. He's going to be pretty good there, but we'll see. All right, before I go, I want to thank my third sponsor. That is Garage Makeovers. If you have any garage needs in South Florida, they're the ones to uh, get them to do it. If you are in Palm Beach or Broward County, you want any garage work done, give them a holler. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered Podcast. Also, I want to thank the supporters over at Patreon above the Bleach Numbers level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Leninger, Travis Smith, Vince Calandra, and Burt Bertoldi. 
And I'll be back soon with another podcast talking a little bit about some scheme stuff and and probably uh, some of the early 2021 recruiting information that is coming in. Until then, this has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Saples. Thanks for listening.